Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Hello. How are we? My name's Graham. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor over at uh, Northside Baptist. And this is, this is amazing. This is um, uh, Sam, actually even Graham Agnew before Sam and Sam and Zeddy and myself and uh, Mike up at uh, Crow's Nest Uniting Church. We kind of committed a number of years ago to not be the churches of Crow's Nest, but to be the Crow's Nest Church. Uh, and so we love the fact that this is, this is happening. We don't talk about each other as, well, you know, the other church. We talk about what well, we do. We talk about you as the other north side. <laughs> and I'd hazard a guess that you talk about us as the other north side as well. Um, I would have loved to be in that meeting, by the way. And it was like, well, what, what should we call ourselves? Let's do north side. Ah, oh, do some research. Um, LAUGHTER now, I'm not, I say that joke, I'm still not clear who, who had the name first, so, so it could go either way in terms of who gets offended by it, but why don't we all get offended and we can be offended in unity, but it's so, it is so lovely to be here, and I do, brother, I, wa- I want to honour you, Zeddy, uh, for uh, 18 years, uh, you and Mon serving and, and just loving on your community and loving us as a community as well. It's not going to be the same without you. I'm going to hold my tears for four weeks, uh, but you are just a brother in the Lord who I dearly love and have loved working alongside. I'm going to miss it, uh, but I'm going to say, yeah, come on. There's, uh, you know the text uh, that goes, where two or three gathered uh, in my name, there I will be. And I do, I do believe that that goes for uh, the church as well, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. And so I don't know what your prayer has been or what your thought has been as we get ready for tonight, but one of the things I've been praying is, you know, God, would you show up? There's two or three of us gathered together as church, as your church in your name. Would you please show up? Wouldn't it be great if we kind of had that kind of epiphanous moment together, that revelation of God where something shifts in our minds and and things change for us? Wouldn't it be great if we could leave here tonight knowing that we have had an epiphanic church service together? It's the adjectival form of epiphanous or epiphany. So it's just English. Um... (laughs) But wouldn't that be great? I love those epiphanous moments when things kind of shift in your mind and what you thought you were seeing has kind of kind of come alive on you or changed shape on you a little bit. One of the first epiphanous moments I remember having was about as an eight-year-old. I love doing dot-to-dots. Uh, there was something just comforting about knowing what happened next when you were doing it. But I had this moment when I was about eight where I realized the numbers were maybe just suggestions. And you could actually do it back to front and get the same picture. You could go 1 to 50, yeah, 50, I had the advanced book. But you could also go from 50 to 1 and get exactly the same picture. You go from 25 through 50, 1 through 25, same picture. But then, and here's where it got wild, I realized you could use the dots, forget the numbers, and come up with your own picture. 
Now, I've got to admit, I only did that a few times because it made me quite nervous uh, because I'm working outside of the known system, right? And I didn't quite know what was going to happen next. There's something about those epiphanous moments that maybe are a little unsettling as the picture changes shape and you see something new for the first time. It might be a, a little bit like if you're having an argument with someone you love and, you know, it's taking them forever to realise that you're right and... <laughs> You know, you've had this argument time and time again. You've walked down this road together time and time again. You know how the argument goes. You kind of weave through various stages of, of, of disappointment and regret. This, this is not Jen and I at all. Um, but then, maybe you take a moment just to step back and, and listen. And you realise, huh, you've got the same dots. You've just come up with a different picture. And then when you're honest with yourself, it's like, oh, actually, that picture's kind of good. That picture's actually maybe even better than my picture. Then I'll revert and go back to the same old road because that's safe and that's what's known. But there's this picture, it's beautiful, isn't it? There's these epiphanous moments that come up and catch us off guard and kind of reorient us to, to the way we're living. And I wonder... If when we come to church, we're kind of looking for one of those epiphanous moments. We're looking for God to show up. We turn up, we say the words, we sing the songs, and it's truth and the dots are all there. And in amongst it, we're waiting for God to show up. Because I think we've, kind of, we've all got our picture of what life is like, what life is supposed to be. We've developed these pictures over time. And... I would hazard a guess that a lot of us are trying desperately to connect the dots in our lives. We're trying desperately not just to connect the dots, but connect them rightly. Because there must be a right and a wrong. Hey, surely that's what we preach at church. We might have that wrong. But what happens when, when the next dot doesn't make sense or the picture doesn't kind of make sense? This is the feeling. This is the picture I want us to take with us as we get into this text uh, in Mark chapter 6. Because I think that this is what is actually happening. I think Jesus is inviting those who are following him, his disciples, into this epiphanous moment where he reveals who he is and it's not exactly who they thought he would be. And so we see the disciples. This is chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus has just incidentally fed a number of thousand people with a couple of loaves and fish and ended up with 12 baskets. And we're told that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him into Bethsaida. They never actually make it to Bethsaida. That's a whole other sermon altogether. While Jesus dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray. Jesus seeks silence and solitude as he immerses himself in the present spirit of God. I, I, I love, I mean, that, that's a whole series there, but I think at Northside Community, you're in a series called Follow. Great name, by the way. I wrote a book called Follow, so uh, well done. Um, <laughs> after leaving him, he went up to the mountainside to pray. Later that night, so it's probably about six o'clock in the evening, somewhere between six and nine in the evening, 
The boat was in the middle of the lake, probably about four kilometers out onto the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. Now, I want us to resist the temptation of seeing Jesus here as kind of like a Superman with telescopic vision where he can see this. It's entirely possible if he's sitting up on a mountain, cloudless night, that he can see out. And the reason I say that is not because Jesus couldn't have had telescopic vision, but because if we start to see Jesus as kind of a superhero, we stop to see him as as a man. And we need in this story to see Jesus as he is. He looks out onto the lake and sees the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Literally, the wind was torturing them. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. So I have another number of conversations that are kind of in this area. And certainly I've got a close friend at the moment, a friend who loves Jesus, who has been following Jesus for a long time and has been obedient to Jesus. And he has kind of sensed Jesus calling him into a certain place. And he has ended up kind of in the middle of nowhere. And he's felt like he's working hard at life. He's straining at life, but he is making very little progress. What's with that? I wonder if you've ever experienced that. I've been obedient to Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And I'm finding that things just aren't working. Isn't Jesus supposed to be about flourishing and an abundant life? Isn't Jesus supposed to be about winning and coming and saving? This this is where the disciples are. They have obeyed Jesus. He has sent them immediately across the lake. They have obeyed him. They have gone. They have found themselves six, somewhere between six and nine at night in the middle of a lake, straining against the oars, being tortured by the wind. Shortly before dawn, so we're talking six hours later, Jesus went out to them. Now let's stop there for a moment because we, we know Jesus. We know what he's like. We know that he's, he's, he's the guy who saves. This is Jesus we're talking about. God become flesh. He sees his friends four kilometers out on a lake and he waits six hours before he goes out to them, walking on the water, because he can do that. Not because he's a superman, but because he is so immersed in the presence of God through that silence and solitude and time that he has spent with God that he has command over nature. He's walking out over water to his friend. Six hours, they have been straining at the oars, being tortured by the wind. Now, let me ask you, what is going on there? What is going on there with Jesus? Shortly before dawn, so maybe about three in the morning, he went out to them walking on the lake. And then we read, he was about to pass by them. In the middle of the lake, straining on the oars, tortured by the wind, six hours, Jesus walks on water finally, and he was about to pass by them. Now, what is going on there? And this is where the good preachers, you know, us preaching types, we go, well, and so I went to the Greek to find out what it actually says. And so I went to the Greek, and it actually says he intended to pass by them. That's no help to me whatsoever in creating an argument about Jesus, who is the one who comes to save the world, he went out to them and he intended to pass by them. Now, what is going on here? If we're talking about this Jesus, is this the Jesus that we want to follow? These disciples have all the dots. 
of Jesus. They've seen him at work. They've seen the miracles. They've heard him preaching about the kingdom of God. They know who Jesus is. They've got this picture of Jesus. But he goes out and he intends to pass by them. He intends to perechomai. If you want the Greek, write that down, tweet it. Get more followers. He intends to perechomai them. What is going on? I want to take you back a little bit in the story. I want to take you right back, actually, in the story to Moses. We know Moses. Moses, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God called Moses off into a foreign land. Moses experienced God's leadership as he uh, saw plagues, as he experienced the Passover, as he led God's people, Israel, this nation of God, out through separated waters, being led by a pillar of smoke in the day and a pillar of fire at night, water coming out of rocks, manna coming down from heaven. This Moses... And we find Moses in Exodus 33, in the middle of nowhere, completely frustrated with what God is doing. Or the fact that Moses feels like he is working incredibly hard and he is not making any progress. And Moses has this kind of this stand-up argument with God in Exodus 33. I love it. Moses says to God, You say your presence is going to go with us, but you have not yet shown me who you are going to send with me. You say, he says to God, oh, I know you by name and I'm pleased with you. You have found favor with me. But if I've really pleased you, would you teach me your ways that I would know you and that that I would experience more of your favor? And then the clincher, remember, Lord, this nation is your people. I love that. That's a great like pastoral prayer there. This church, they're your people. You deal with them. (laughs) Moses has this stand-up argument with God and it culminates with Moses saying, I just want to know you. I want to see the picture in the way that you see the picture. God, can I see your glory? And God says to Moses, no, you can't see my glory because if you see my glory, you won't live. But I will hide you in a cleft of a rock and my goodness will pass you by. Actually, the Greek translation of that is my goodness will perechomai. And God's goodness passes by Moses and Moses knows God to be the great I am. You know, that great self-identifying name of God. I am that I am. And Moses experiences this. His picture of God is blown open. He's had the dots. It's all there. It's all managed. But then God passes by. God perechomai. And he knows the great I am. I want to talk about Elijah. Another story, a miraculous story of obedience and zeal. And Elijah, who has been kind of, well, he's fleeing for his life. And he finds himself obedient to God, experiencing miracles, but in the middle of a desert. And he's had enough. And he sits under a tree and he prays that God would take his life. It's 1 Kings chapter 19. And Elijah says to God, let me die. I have had enough. I am no different to anyone else. And he lies down under a under the shade of a tree in the middle of a desert in the hopes that he would die. 
I mean, if that's not a picture of someone in the middle of nowhere, straining, working hard and making no progress, feeling as though they're making no progress, I don't know what is. And an angel, we're told, comes to Elijah and says, get up and eat, and there's a water and bread there for him. He eats and he, and he drinks and he falls asleep again. It happens again. Eventually, God leads him into a cave. And God says, stand at the mouth of the cave because my glory is about to pass you by. Actually, his translation is, my glory is about to perechomai. And we know the story. There's the wind and the presence of God is not in the wind. There's an earthquake. The presence of God is not in the earthquake. There's fire. The presence of God is not in the fire. And then there's the still, small whispering. And Elijah covers his face with his cloak because the presence of God is more terrifying than the absence of God. What does Elijah experience? Elijah experiences the great I am, creator God, king of the universe, the I am. We have, Abraham, uh, we have Moses who is frustrated with God, who experiences God in the cleft of the rock because God's presence is more dangerous than his absence. We have Elijah who experiences God in the mouth of a cave and he covers his face because God's presence is more terrifying than his absence. And we have the disciples. Jesus intended, we are told, to perechomai them. You see how there's perhaps a different reading there of Jesus intended to pass them by? Jesus intended to reveal himself to them. Jesus intended literally, if we're going to translate it, to give them an epiphanous moment, a self-revelation of who he is. And what happens? I love this. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out. Now, for the sake of entering the story, I don't want to get too crass here. But they cried out. Seems a little bit sterile for a boat full of buffy fishermen who have been straining against torturous wind for over six hours in the middle of the lake. Uh, just I'll leave it up to you and your imagination what actually was said and happened in that boat when they saw Jesus and thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Perhaps the presence of Jesus is more terrifying than his absence. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Actually, literally, he says, Take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. Jesus reveals himself to his followers as God become flesh. They have the dots. They've seen Jesus at work. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the preaching. They've, they've been sent out already. They've done miracles themselves. They've got this incredible picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. And then Jesus turns up in the middle of that picture and blows things apart. Same dots. Completely different picture. What do we expect when we come to church together on a Sunday evening? What dots, what pictures are we bringing with us when we come to church together on a Sunday evening? I, here's what I think. I think, the, I think the church has developed an entirely safe picture of who God is. 
Let, let me narrow that down for the sake of clarity. I think the modern church, well, the modern Western church, has developed a picture, a safe picture of who, let's say the church in Sydney. Let, let's, let's, actually, let's be personal. The church in Crow's Nest. I think we have developed a picture of God that is entirely safe. And we pray prayers, show up, Lord. There's two or three of us gathered together. Here you will be, show up, do your thing. While we're tightly holding on to the pictures we have, we've got the dots. And don't, don't get me wrong here, the dots are great. They're dots based on rich theology and evangelistic fervor and missional impetus and love of community. These are great dots. But we've come up with a picture of God that is entirely safe. I, I don't know about you, but as I spend time with different church communities around Sydney, I hear the same story time and time again. We are working hard. We don't feel like we're getting anywhere. It's just, I mean, there's growth, but it's really just people switching churches, which is great, don't get me wrong, but it's not revival. We're in the middle of nowhere, perhaps, just working hard. Perhaps we need our picture of God kind of blown open a little bit. Because somehow in the modern West, in Sydney, in, in Crow's Nest, we've developed a picture of God that has somehow portrayed God as this angry, vengeful father. It's not in the Bible. I mean, we can find the dots. That's not God. We in the church, particularly in Sydney, have developed a picture of God that allows for kind of systemic patriarchy. I mean, it's dots. It's impossible to find it in the Bible, but that's the picture we draw. We've developed a picture of God that kind of gives us a post-life fire insurance policy, but no clue as to what to do with today and tomorrow and the next day. So we check out for a bit and hope for some pie in the sky when we die. And yet we ask for God to show up. We've developed a picture that is based more on fear and control and powerless answers than Jesus walking on water, intending to reveal himself to those who choose to follow him. So this is my prayer for us, for the church in Crow's Nest, that we would have an epiphanous moment, that Jesus would show up, that he would intend to pass us by, as it were. And when that happens, like, don't get me wrong, like, I love turning up to church knowing what's going to happen next. I love turning up to church as the senior pastor because I get to be in control. I get to make the decisions. I get to be able to say, well, we'll, we'll do worship for this long and we'll preach. For that. I, that's like I, it's safe. What would happen if Jesus showed up amongst that? And Perhaps Jesus' presence would be more terrifying than his absence. Perhaps Jesus' presence would be more dangerous than his absence. Perhaps we would learn the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Perhaps we would have a growing hunger after God's own heart as we experience Jesus in this way. 
This is the prayer that I have for us as the church, that Jesus would intend to pass us by, that we would find ourselves crying out because we see him and we are terrified. But in order to do that, we need to hold our pictures of him loosely. Not the dots, but the pictures that we've developed over time. Those narratives, perhaps, that we've grown up with that sell us a picture of God that is less than who is revealed in Scripture. That give us an idea of life that is less than what is revealed in Scripture. We want to step into this. Does that make sense? So this is what I would love to invite us into tonight. We're going to join together in communion. What could be a more powerful way of saying, we are your church, God. We are gathered together and, and you are here. Because we know that the night before Jesus died, he was with his friends. We know that he broke the bread, as he always did, and said to them, this bread is my body given for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. We know that after the meal, Jesus took the wine, passed it. Do you guys do wine or grape juice? Real wine. Real wine. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> Baby steps for us. Um, Jesus took the wine, passed around and said, this wine is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the way that you experience the kind of life that I'm offering you. And something as simple as eating bread and drinking wine. And so as we do that tonight, I invite your prayer to be, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Name where you are. In the middle of the lake, I'm straining. I'm on the shore. I'm not even getting in yet. You've told me to go in the lake. I've gone the other way. I don't care. Just tell Jesus where you are. And then say, no, Jesus, I invite you into this picture. But as you do that, be ready to let go of the picture that you have of Jesus because when he comes alive on you, things absolutely change. That's where it gets fun. Let's stand together. Yeah, why not? Come on, Brayden. I'd love just to give you a moment to uh, breathe, relax, and take a moment to reflect. Where are you at the moment? What is your prayer for Jesus at the moment? What would it be like for you, for Jesus to pass you by? Then when you're ready, uh, just come forward and, and take a, a, a cup of juice and uh, a wafer. They're gluten-free. Boom. Um, take it, and as you, as you receive that, just acknowledge what you are stepping into, stepping into the life of Jesus, through the death of Jesus. And then give thanks. If you'd love to receive prayer, there's space up the back. Uh, straight away afterwards. If, if Whatever it is, just go up and somebody will come and stand alongside you and pray. It might be as simple as a blessing. It might be as simple as praying God's presence in your situation right now. But that's, that's what we want to do now is take some time to respond. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.